You may be seated. I appreciate your enthusiasm and worship this morning, as I'm sure the Lord does. Uh, go back and read the book of Psalms again this coming year and just be inspired about uh, the psalmist writing. Grab every instrument you can grab, make a loud noise unto the Lord, and just pour it out before him. Don't worry about how you look. Just worry about lifting up the name of Jesus in praise. Uh, I, I want to just encourage you, just thinking about I got saved. And I know you don't get clued into all the email, and for a lot of security reasons, we can't post on Facebook everything that's happening through this ministry because it jeopardizes the security uh, of our disciples, uh, specifically in Asia. But I want you to know I have a steady stream of emails, as in every 24 to 48 hours over the last two weeks, where our disciples are saying, I'm on the border of China and India right now just led a dozen people to Christ in a Christmas worship service. I got another email, and they're going through all through the streets of the capital of India singing Christmas carols in a hostile environment to shopkeepers. I get an email a few days later. They're on the other side of the country standing literally looking at the border of Pakistan. Hundreds of people are gathering in winter parkas. It's so cold. And they're preaching the gospel to them in the Punjab state, another dozen or so come to Christ that night. This happened just, just hours ago, literally. In that particular place, our disciples are going to try to plant 12 churches in the next five years. That's crazy aggressive. But I want you to know they're doing it, and they're doing it through your giving, through your prayers, through your support, through your encouragement, through the training you've helped to provide for them. It's only going to keep spreading. So you just keep praying, you just keep going. There's a lot of wonderful things happening right now. Uh, even this morning, I'd like to just kind of tie a bow around Christmas if I can. I'm sure by now, uh, as uh, one of our members groaned audibly earlier, you may be kind of done with Christmas by now. And we'll pack it up next Sunday night, put it all away, the, the decor, and, and start really switching gears uh, when we start our series next Sunday on the Heavenly Host, on the Angels. But, but this morning, I'd like to deal with several issues that arose after the Christmas narrative in Scripture, issues surrounding really Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and some issues that they had to face together on Christmas night and going, well, not Christmas night, I'm going to say two years after Christmas, and going forward from the Magi until uh, the junior high years of Jesus. A lot of things happen, very few things are actually recorded. In particular, I'd like to discuss this morning the conflict that the family experienced, or I could say this morning, the conflict that our families experience as our children reach puberty, junior high years, become youths and young adults. It changes the entire dynamic of the family. Now, I don't know if you've raised any yet, but if you have or if you are, about 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, everything changes in the home. It brings a completely new dynamic to your residence, okay? And I know you're all parenting experts when you're taking them through the elementary years. And then when you hit the junior high years, you're going to shred everything you thought you knew and start over again. And, and really... You, you'll get clued into it. Now, 
They didn't record tons of this in the scripture. You just get like a, a sentence here and a sentence there is all you get. But you guys are parents and you're smart and you can read between the lines. The Bible writers are trying to be very respectful. As Listen, you don't want to talk about everything stupid you did when you were a kid, right? And you don't want anybody else writing a book about it either, right? And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are very respectful to Jesus, Joseph, Mary, and etc., and so we don't hear about the fistfights that the brothers and sisters of Jesus and all of them got into because it doesn't help us to know that. So they just give us the things they, they think that we need to know to be able to relate to, to this family. Now, as we enjoy this week, I think most of you are going to get some days off this week. And as you enjoy this time between Christmas and, and up to New Year's now, listen, I want you just to, to take somewhere in the next few days or today or while I'm talking you can tune me out and start thinking right now just begin to reflect a little bit and seek the face of God and say God what do you have for me where, where are we going God, God where, 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 is, where, where is all this going in 2020 uh, my career my, my walk with you my, my discipleship God what do you have for me in the coming year I want you to begin to have conversations with your creator and say to him in those conversations, I'm open to your will. My ears are open to what you're saying. My heart is tender to what you're doing. God, I want to say to you that I don't know what 2020 has, but I'd like to say yes right now. How cool would that be? Let's just go ahead and say yes to Jesus and then let him unfold it and then we'll just comply and Get, get right in the center of his will the, the whole way. Let me, let me challenge you with a few opening questions. Have you ever lived your entire life, one whole year of your life, in the perfect will of God? Can you look back at your life and say, you know, 2019, 2017, back in 2000, by golly, I lived for Jesus and really walked with him like never before. Can you look at a year of your life and say, man, I crushed it. I mean, not, not you know, big head, but just... I really pursued Christ, and I really followed him in a way I, I haven't in other years. Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but do you realize what you're about to get an opportunity to do in just a few days? You're about to get that opportunity that comes where you can say, okay, let's just close that thing out and forget that one, <laughs> and let's just go now and see, see if this can be that moment for me in my walk with Christ. And whatever God has planned for you, you don't need to be stressed about it. Can we just get that off the table? Whatever God has planned for you, don't feel anxious this morning. Don't have anxiety. Don't be stressed. Because whatever God has planned for you in his will, God will provide our resources. I need to get this kind of out there really quickly in this message. Whatever God is going to ask you to do in the coming year, whatever direction he's going to take your career, your decisions, your, your leadership, your parenting, whatever direction God's going to take you, he's already thought it out. And even though he, you don't know, he knows. He's already seen it. He's already thought it. He's already planned a wonderful future for you, the prophet said in the Old Testament. And whatever God's going to ask you to do, our first response is, how am I going to pay for it? What do my resources look like? How am I going to pull that off? What does my time look like? What does my availability look like? Whatever God's going to ask you to do, he's going to provide the resources to do it. 
So let's start with faith this morning, really. God's going to provide our resources. And let me get right to the biblical narrative and move forward. Many of the storytellers, when we come to this season, they, they really just kind of leave the story in Bethlehem. You know, here come the Magi, gold, frankincense, myrrh, everybody's happy. Oh, wait, here comes Herod. Okay, get out of Dodge. But, but they just kind of leave the Christmas story with the Magi, and nobody ever rolls that forward. So what happened Next, and that's really what I want to talk about this morning. Matthew tells us very clearly, the Magi come, where is he that's born king of the Jews? We've seen a star in the east. They, give, they, they go down to Bethlehem, they find Jesus, and they're all about to be warned supernaturally that, that something's rotten in Jerusalem, and Herod is going to try to murder everybody, everybody he can murder. Whether it's Magi, Jesus, Joseph, Mary, anybody who's a threat to his power, he's going to get rid of them the old-fashioned way, okay? He is going to murder them all. And so the Magi uh, leave Bethlehem, and God begins to speak to Joseph in the night, in a dream, through an angel. We'll talk more about this in the coming weeks. Let me read the text, Matthew 2, verse number 11. Now when they had departed the Magi... Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Let me just pause here. I got a lot of questions about this. Do you believe God still speaks to us through dreams? Why not? Now, if you eat a pepperoni pizza at midnight and you toss and turn all night and dream crazy dreams, don't equate the two, okay? So you have to use, there's also a thing in the New Testament called the Holy Spirit, uh, and he gives you the gift of discernment <laughs> to sort things out, okay? And so you have to pass that through the filter of discernment that the Holy Spirit gives you. But God is clearly communicating to Joseph through an angel, through his dreams in the night, okay? So it's very la- clearly laid out. Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, that's very important to our message this morning, you just take the next step. Well, how, Listen, if God said that to you, here would be our question, for how long? How many clothes do I need to pack? For how long am I going to be there? Do I need to buy a house or rent a house or build a house or just get a Motel 6 for tonight? I mean, I need more details than this. God says, go, I'll tell you more later. All you need to know now is just go. Get your stuff and run. For they're going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and he took the child and his mother by night. Now, I learn a lot in these simple words. Joseph didn't wait to figure all of this out before he began to act. When he sat up in his bed in a cold sweat and said, Was that real? I, I just imagined the angel of God told me to do X, Y, and Z. He discerned immediately, this is God. And they grabbed the bags immediately, and they threw them in the car, and they were gone, just like that in the middle of the night. Now, I'm learning a whole lot, and one of the things I'm learning is that I am not as good a Christian as Joseph. I would have kicked the tires on that a little bit. I would have prodded and poked and asked some people what they thought about that. I would have drugged my feet. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm seeing people in the Bible when God speaks and they know it's God's voice. They're acting with speed. They're acting with efficiency. They don't have to have all the answers to have the next step answered. Does that make sense? And I'm thinking sometimes 
We're sitting around acting holy, saying, God, we really need to hear from you. When God's already spoken, he's waiting on us. And I want to just suggest this morning, as we enter a new year, you may not be waiting on God. He may be waiting on you. It may be like a game of chess or checkers where he's made his move. Next move's your, boom, he's already hit the button. Next move's yours. He's already spoken about what he wants you to do. Or you do, have you taken that step? Now, one of the things we often miss in the, in the narrative is we miss in the narrative that you have to have a whole lot of resources to survive on the run. Now, you just think about this. We watch a lot of movies and read a lot of books in our culture about things like this, dramatic scenes like this. To drop everything and run and to leave everything behind, including career, vocation, bank account, whatever, leave it all behind. Just grab what you can grab and go right now. You're going to have to have resources to survive on the run. If, you, if all of us just, if I said, okay, we're going in five minutes, everybody grab whatever you can grab. It's like sounds like Survivor almost. Said, Get what you can grab and we're going right now. L- listen, we're, we would just panic. We'd say, I can't get, en- I can't get enough. What will I need? I, breakers would start flipping in our, in our electrical system. You have to have a lot of resources to survive in a foreign country. They're going to have to cross borders to a foreign country. And they're going to have to live there for an unknown amount of time incognito. I mean, we're doing spy stuff here. Where nobody knows who they are. Assumed names, false identities. To protect the baby or the child, Jesus. And you have to ask yourself, how are two peasants going to live like a Jason Bourne on the run when they don't have ten shekels to rub together to their name? How were they going to survive like that? Well, God had already thought it out. God had already planned it. So don't miss this in the narratives. When the Magi come to crown, they're the kingmakers. When they come to crown baby Jesus as the king of the Jews, the king of the east, and they bow down and worship him, and they present to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the gifts that they gave were gifts that were highly valuable, not just in Israel, but in Egypt, in Syria, in all the surrounding countries, these were three items, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that were highly valuable and highly liquid, which means not, not, not about viscosity, but about being able to turn it quickly for cash. Their gold is small but heavy, but it can be turned for anything. In any society of this era, frankincense and myrrh likewise. And when the Magi deposited these gifts in the little house in Bethlehem to the, to the two-year-old Jesus with Mary and Joseph there, God had in that moment already planned for the dream that was coming tonight and the packed bags that would happen in the middle of the night and the run that was about to happen down across the border to Egypt, dark into the night tonight, God had already planned it. And God had in that moment through the Magi provided a trust fund, a trust fund for little Jesus, a trust fund, if you would, for Mary and Joseph. They had everything they needed to survive. God had already provided the resources for them to do exactly what God wanted them to do. And what I want you to embrace this morning is you are no different. You are God's child. 
and God promised to provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will provide for you. The, the gospel accounts are replete with this. If he clothes the lilies of the valleys and feeds the sparrows, how much more? Is God going to take care of his children? You are priceless to God. And whatever he asks you to do, his resources are going to be available to you in the new year. While none of us can predict what's going to happen in the new year. While none of us can predict what our careers might look like. Or what our health might look like. Or what this economy might look like. Or who the president will be a year. While none of us can predict what this year will bring. What we can predict with absolute certainty is that our God will still be on the throne and he'll still be providing for his children. So whatever your resources you need, you can go and claim that right now. And you can say to God this morning, God, yes is the answer, whatever you want me to do. And I know you'll provide for me and, and, and I'll feel free to talk it out with you several times throughout the year. If I feel like I need something or, or what, we'll just have that exchange and God, I know the windows of heaven will be open. Our challenge this morning is simply to take the next step of faith that God is going to present to us because God has also promised to direct us step by step. Now, I just want to state the obvious to you this morning. God's promise to direct us step by step. You'll notice in the post-Christmas accounts that God did not present to Joseph and Mary a parenting a manuscript, a parenting transcript to follow. God didn't say, here's what it's all going to look like. Just follow this. Here, I've got written it all out for you. Uh, This is important to me. Because what I know about you and I is we want that. We want God to lay it all out for us. But neither does God give to you and I this morning as we face a year or we face circumstances God does not present any of us with a manuscript of how our lives are going to play out with important dates in bold. Here's what you can expect. Here's what's going to happen next week and next month and et cetera. And it causes us frustration because we want to know. And I guess with social media, we've never lived in a moment in history where people wanted to know more, faster about everything, which amounts to mostly nothing, constantly. But we want to know. We want to be in the know. We want to be informed. And God keeps saying to us, trust me. But that's what he wants you to do. Trust him. Just, Just have faith in me. Just trust me. God doesn't give you a manuscript of what the year is going to look like. He says, I want you to live by faith. And here's my promise. I promise to be with you. And I promise to lead you one step of the journey at a time. I will reveal a step at a time to you. Let me read from Matthew 2.19. But when Herod died, let's fast forward the story. They're in Egypt. But when Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Which, let me pause. God knows where to find you. He doesn't struggle for that. He knows where you are at any given moment in time. Uh, He knows how to locate you. Knows how to speak your language. Knows how to get in contact with you. Everywhere, all at once, and God says, okay, angel, get down to Egypt, deliver a message to Joseph. And and, and in the narrative, it looks like five minutes passed, maybe three or four days, maybe a long weekend. Years have passed. I mean, we don't know how long they've been there, but God just said, 
take the next step. Joseph and Mary grabbed their stuff with Jesus and went. You realize he had to get, he had to get a job in Egypt. Maybe start his carpenter's business again. They, they've started over again. From Nazareth, started over in Bethlehem two years, now started over in Egypt again. Some of you are frustrated because you have to move sometimes. Same, same thing. And so they put a new roots down in Egypt, and now God appears in a dream and says, okay, I'm ready for you to take the next step. And the steps were important because Jesus had to fulfill all the prophecies. He does have to live in a certain place. He does have to come out of Egypt. He does have to come from that. All of these things have to happen. And so God says to Joseph, okay, it's, it's time. Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. Herod is dead. And he arose, Joseph arose, and took the child and his mother and went into the land of Israel. So they're coming back. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Judea is south Israel. This is Bethlehem. So what we know from the text is Joseph interpreted the angel as it's safe to go home. Home for Mary and Joseph wasn't Nazareth. That is where they live. But Bethlehem was home. Does that make sense? That's really the land of their forefathers, south Israel, Bethlehem. And that's why they were there to pay the taxes. That was the land of their birth, the city of their birth. So they go to Bethlehem. They're going back to Judea. But as they're traveling, they grab, you know, the Jerusalem Post. And it says, Herod's dead. Senate confirms Archelaus to reign in his stead. And Joseph's like, okay, so God, I'm listening to you. I've come back into Israel, but now Joseph also has to exercise his decision-making. Is everybody listening right here? God says go to Israel, but now Joseph has to exercise his wisdom and decision-making. It says, yeah, I'm in it, but not Judea, because I'm afraid that Archelaus, the son of Herod, still try to kill us. This is not a forgotten thing, even though some time has passed. They still may try to kill us, and God has commissioned us to protect this little boy. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. We'll take a bullet for him. We've got to protect this little boy. So Joseph says, okay, let's go back up to Nazareth then. It's under a different jurisdiction. Galilee is. We'll go up there, and we won't be under the hand and the fear of Archelaus. Let me read verse 21. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he should be called a Nazarene. Okay, so you're getting the narrative. God simply guided them to Egypt. Then later God said, okay, now go to Israel. Okay, exercise your judgment. Okay, good. Settle in Nazareth. Okay, I'll be with you there. And I'll provide for you. Start your business over again. Get your family business going. Put your roots down. Get your house. You're going to be here a while now. Now, here's what all I want to say to you about this thought. It would be inconsistent for you and I to expect God to reveal the big picture. Because he's never done it for anyone in the scripture. So just let it go. And instead do what all the Bible writers challenge you and I to do. Let me read from Proverbs, one of the most known verses by our people here at church. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean unto your own understanding I mean, ESV, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. He will guide your steps. He will direct your next decision is what it means. He's going to guide your step. Make, he's going to help you with your next decisions. 
that you need to make. And life is a series of decisions. So before you're challenged to say, God, just lay it all, he's not going to do it. I can just tell you, you're wasting your time. Instead, say to God this morning, I have no idea what the year is going to bring, but I know you love me and I love you so much that I can say yes to you without knowing what the calendar is going to look like. I can say yes to you because I have that much confidence and trust in you that you are good, you love your children, you're going to provide and protect, and you want only the best for me and my family. So God, I'm going to follow you. Let's take it a little bit further. As you stand on the threshold of 2020, what is the next step? I mean, we're reading verses that say, you know, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. He'll, he'll make your steps straight and all that. He'll help you with your next decision. What is the next thing God wants you to do? Now, I can't answer that for anyone in the room except myself. But what is the thing or things that maybe God's been speaking to you about for some weeks or months and it's there And it's something that you and God have wrestled with a little bit, and he's waiting for your decision. What is the next step you need to take? He promised to guide you. And when I say step, I don't mean geography. I mean decision. I mean commitment. I mean the next engagement that he wants you to take, the next decision he wants you to take, the next thing he wants you to be engaged with. And if you're struggling, I could give you a list. Some of you need to learn Spanish in 2020. Texas, in about five years, ten years, the demographic will have completely shifted. You understand what's happening. Please understand the times. We have got to raise up Spanish-speaking Christians who can make Spanish-speaking disciples because the future of Texas is Spanish-speaking. And you can fight that all you want, but you're not going to win that battle. And I'm praying that many of you would embrace learning how to lead someone to Christ in Spanish and, and just have your mind open to Spanish congregations being planted. Listen, maybe you're not a reader. Maybe this is your year, though. Listen, why don't you say, God, if you just help me, I'm going to read five books about Christian topics. and three- Become a reader this year. Read ten books. Some of you need to make a commitment to the gym or your bathroom scale, or the mirror, or whatever you want to say about that. And I'm one of them. I'm with you, okay? But listen, it's a season of commitment. It really is. It's a season of really thinking about what does God want us to do. Does God want us to be healthy? And a lot of you want me to get up here and preach against marijuana and alcohol. What about stinking sugar and carbs and gluttony? I mean, you're destroying, the, you're destroying it either way. With our bad habits and our, and our bad eating. God wants us healthy. He wants us holy. He wants us on mission for him. And, and you're going to be most effective. Get tools in the toolbox that will make you effective for the mission Christ has for you. Some of you need to learn to play the guitar. 2020 is your year. I, I mean, I could just go crazy up here for about an hour and just give you ideas. But I'd rather you engage God and just say, God, what do you have for me? Some of, God wants some of you to start a family business in 2020. God wants you to take a risk. Maybe you need to go on your first mission trip in 2020. Listen, maybe you need to lead someone to Christ in 2020. You've been waiting for it and wait. This is your year. Some of you are ready to launch out of your discipleship group. You need to make a disciple in 2020. This is your year. I want you to just make that commitment to God. Say, God, if you'll just help me put the people in my life that I can disciple, I want to invest in someone 
in 2020. Lord, let this be my year to bear fruit that is going to remain for the kingdom of God. All I'm saying is that whatever happens, God's going to help you establish new rhythms. Maybe it's time to make a change in your lifestyle. And I don't know what that means for you. But you need to wrestle with what it means. I've got to learn to sleep at night. I don't sleep. I'm crazy insomniac, you know. I've got to learn to sleep. I'm just, I'm just airing some of my stuff. I'm just, you've got your own. I've got a lot of things I need to work on, okay? And you don't want to hear them all. Uh, but what, what lifestyle changes do you need to make? What rhythms need to change in your life? The way we talk to each other in the home? You know about time we stop screaming at each other? You know about time we start addressing each other in a different way? Listen, maybe you've just got, maybe you're really young here. Maybe you're just a boy or, or a girl in a home. Listen, in that time that siblings started treating parents with respect. Maybe we just need to, some lifestyle change is all I'm saying. It's time for some new rhythms in our family. One of the things that I'm very excited about is just seeing the eagerness of so many adults to learn and to grow. And I want you to know that's something that God is doing in you. A lot, of, a lot of times people are asking me, do you think this is God's will? Well, it's definitely not Satan's will for you to make disciples. Or to, to, to be healthy or, you know, to, 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 to care for the temple of God or to pray more or to, or to, or to turn over a new leaf. I, know, I noticed several of the women in the church joined a kind of got a little Facebook group going. You're going to read the Bible through chronologically this coming year. You guys already started on that? About to start. Okay. That's really cool because that's a whole fresh way of reading the Bible. Listen, if maybe, you're, maybe you read your Bible consistently every year. Let me give you a new challenge. Find a different version. Grab a version that's maybe a paraphrase. If you need help, I'll guide you. Grab a different version and read it through. I'm not saying throw your old one away. I'm not saying anything's wrong with your old one. But if you want it to pop off the page and communicate to you in a fresh way, get a different version. You say, you're crazy. No, I do it. And I know it works. And sometimes I'll be reading along in a different version. I'm like, it doesn't say that. And I'll pull out a Greek dictionary and start looking up words. I'm like, it does say that. Why did nobody ever tell me? You know what I'm saying? It just gives you fresh perspective. You'll hear the voice of God speak to you in a different way. Maybe it's time for new rhythms in your life. Maybe you and your wife need to take dance lessons. Maybe you need to join a yoga class. Maybe you need to get in a small group with some disciples and get in the Word every week and be accountable to someone. Accountability is awesome for growth. It's awesome for growth. It's, as a matter of fact, it's the key. It's one of the keys to spiritual growth. All I'm saying is I'm excited to see you growing, and I know we're going to have a great year of growth. One of the things that the Scripture does point out about Jesus is that it, although it obscures so much of his childhood, watch what the Scripture says. Luke 2, verse 40, And the child grew... I almost just want to say, duh. But do you realize God put this in for a reason? Because God wanted to call your attention to he is God, but he is so in a man's body. He is so human like us that I need to get you to focus back on this. He has to grow up. Jesus has to grow up. This is part of that miracle of the incarnation, God becoming man. He has to grow up, and he did. He grew, and he became and he became what? Listen, let's ask God to do that for us this year. You say, God, I want to grow and I want to be strong. 
And maybe you could talk out how you perceive that, what that means for you, but talk that out with God. And he was filled with wisdom. But wisdom is not the same as facts or knowledge. Wisdom is the smarts of how, it's how to use it, the discernment on how to use what you know. You are very intelligent and educated people. Now pray for wisdom that God would give you the ability to know how to use all of that data you've got up there in your head. When to use it, when to talk, when not to talk, what to say, how to do this, how to, you're you're brilliant people. Now we grow in wisdom. And favor of God was upon him. Now, I just want to throw this out and move very quickly. You can spark some spiritual growth in your life yourself. There are some things about your spiritual growth that you're in control of. And if you want to jumpstart your own spiritual growth, things like recommitting to prayer, uh, re-engaging with the scripture, putting yourself in situations where you will be challenged. For example, coming to church on the last Sunday of the decade when you could be anywhere else with a holiday hangover, you know, just lethargic and trying to get off the couch, but you chose to be at church where you knew the pastor was going to challenge you this morning not to be comfortable. But listen, you put yourself this morning in a challenging environment. Okay, that's awesome. Listen, this is awesome what's happening here this morning. And those are things you can do. Re-engage with the scripture. Make commitment to prayer. Uh, be accountable to someone. Put yourself in challenging environments where you will be held accountable or you'll be challenged or people will stimulate your, your spiritual growth or your, or your thought processes or your prayer life or your spirituality. Those are things that you can do to take control of your spiritual life and spark some growth. But then there are some things that only God can do for you. And those are things you're going to have to really get on your knees and say, okay, God, here's some things I want you to do for me. Like, I need you to give me wisdom and discernment and understanding and favor and blessing and, and, and optimism. And God, help me with my attitude. There's some things that God can do for you supernaturally. And those things working together really drive those new rhythms in your life that, that need to begin here very shortly. I just want to encourage you, this is your year. This is your year. And you may be saying, well, there's so many things I'm still trying to figure out. You don't have to figure everything out to begin now making changes in your life. It's one of the things I've learned. If you wait till you're going to figure everything out, I meet so many Christians that just want to know everything about everything in the Scripture, and all the while they do nothing to bear fruit, make disciples, or help change the world, or, the, or you know, add people to the kingdom of God. We're just trying to know more, know more, know more. Listen, get on the mission. That knowledge will come along. It'll come along, but don't wait until you have everything figured out. What's going to happen is you're going to wake up at 70 and say, gosh, I still don't have everything figured out. You see what I'm saying? Just start where you are right now and begin to establish the new rhythms you know that God wants for your life. And, and, and let me just talk about this for in, in a few minutes I have left. God will guide us through family challenges. God will guide us through family challenges. Susan and I taught three parenting classes this year because we understand that one of the greatest challenges in a young congregation is the challenges that face our family when children first come into our family. It's a life-altering experience to be responsible for the life of another person. And then you figure it all out, and then you realize you don't have anything figured out when they get to junior high. And it's another life-altering experience trying to parent people who are gaining independence as young adults. Now we're at empty nest phase, And I've got good news for you. When you think you figured it all out, then you get to empty nest phase and they have become adults. 
and you still don't have everything figured out. There's new dynamics that are happening. So the one thing Susan and I have really learned is there are at least three distinct stages of parenting, and they all look different. Some of you have lived through this now. They all look different. This looks like one thing. This looks like a different thing. And this looks like a completely different thing where guidance and, and, and direction is on a completely different level. I prayed for my little children in one particular way. I pray for my adult children now in a completely different manner. Completely different manner. You're praying, God, please keep them out of jail. God, no, you're praying, like when they're little, you pray for protection, but when they're older, it's a different, it's just, it, it's a little different flavor, a little different flavor. You're praying for them to get saved when they're little. Now you're praying, God, help them to reestablish their walk with you and stay close to you now in these 20-something years. It's different, it's just different, and you'll live through that eventually. But what I want to challenge you with is every challenge that the family faces as you're Raising your family. Every challenge you face, God is going to guide you through those unique challenges. Let, let me get back to the narrative of the scripture real quick. Jesus knew who his father was. And I don't mean Joseph. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of things you read about Jesus, written from contemporary authors, uh, in, in pop culture, he didn't know who he was. And as a man, he's trying to find himself poppycock, okay? And you'll see it right from the scripture this morning. As a little uh, boy, uh, the puberty years, when he hit junior high, he absolutely knew who his father was. And I don't mean Joseph. He knew that he was God's son. He knew he was God in a man's body. As a junior high boy, he had this knowledge. Now, I just, I got to let you marinate on that for a minute because I'm going to say some things in a minute that are going to be hard to take. Marinate on that for a second. And it did not take Jesus long with that understanding. As he, looking forward to being a teenager, it, he already understood who his father was. He understood what mission God had put him on this planet for. He understood what he was here to do. And he begins to engage in that mission, by the time he's 12 years old, he's already gaining independence from Mary and Joseph. And that growth that Jesus is experiencing created parenting challenges for Joseph and Mary like none other. Let me ask you a few questions and see if we can get your juices flowing a little bit. Do you think, don't answer out loud, unless you want to. Do you, do you think Jesus was an easy child to parent? Don't answer out loud. Do you think Jesus was an easy child to parent? Do you imagine that Jesus was a compliant child or a strong-willed child? You already know from the scripture that he's sinless. And you might think as a parent, well, this will be a piece of cake. Well, I'm thinking about it. And I'm thinking this is going to elevate my anxiety like nothing else. I've got a parent now, a little boy, who's always right. <laughs> now, you've already raised some who thought they were always right. He's actually right. So anytime he corrects you, he actually is correct. My anxiety is like this. Okay, Jesus, two times two is five. No, moron, it's four. And I'm sure he didn't talk to Joseph like that, but Jesus is right, the parents wrong. I mean, he's always right. My anxiety levels off the chart. I can't teach this kid anything. He's always going to be, always going to be right. 
Now, you, you may think yourself somewhat of a parenting expert. But then you'll have your own child one day. <laughs> and that'll solve your problem. I can promise you that, okay? And I'm sure Mary and Joseph, they, they were around cousins and this and that and families and et cetera. And I'm sure they had some ideas about what parenting would be like. But to get handed Jesus as your first child, that's a whole nother matter. This was going to be way more difficult than it looked like. Remember that Mary and Joseph were not given a parenting script to follow by God Almighty. The angel said, if you're okay, Mary, you have to tell me yes before I'll do it. But if you say yes, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And you're going to deliver a child and it should be called the Son of God. <laughs> okay? But that's all they got. They didn't get a book of parenting from God on how to protect and raise the Son of God, the Savior of the world. This was all new to Mary and Joseph, and Jesus turned out to be a very strong-willed child. He was there first, and he would be their most challenging. How do you parent a strong-willed child, people have asked. My answer is with two stronger-willed parents. Have you tried to raise a strong-willed child? You'll have to be stronger-willed. That's all I can tell you. And... This is what they're facing. Now, don't think of Joseph and Mary. I think sometimes we get the wrong message. You think of them as timid folks. But this is the bravest couple you've ever met. They're so courageous and so bold that they've gone against their entire culture. They've gone against their family's wishes. They've gone against the Jewish traditions that have been around for thousands of years. They've been hunted by a tyrannical king already across the border into another country. We've restarted the family business at least three, maybe four times already. We left behind us in Bethlehem in our wake a, a trail of dead little babies as Herod chased us out of the country. They fled their country to become refugees. They've had to figure out what to do when there was no room for them. I'll tell you what you do. You fluff the hay in the manger... You find something to wrap the child. I mean, they figured it out. You see what I'm saying? When there were no resources, they looked around. They were innovative. They were creative. They said, this will do. We don't have to be carried around on a pillow. We told God we would do this, so we'll do it. Let's figure it out, Mary. And that's exactly what they did. These strong parents had to face conflict in their home as they began to raise a family they did not plan for. Some of you have been handed this situation. You're raising a family that you didn't plan for it to be this way. You either have kids you didn't plan for, or we have blended families with his and hers and ours together now, or you've adopted and you didn't envision it being this way a decade ago, but now this is what you've got. You say, what do I do? You, you go with it. That's what you do. You, you go with it and you trust God's going to provide and direct and he's going to help you with the challenges because he's the one who's written the script, okay? And, and, and so you've said, yes, I'm going to trust you. Now I'll just let it play out. We can clearly see that Jesus came into conflict with his parents. Let me read it for you. I know you won't believe me. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom 
They're going from Nazareth across the country to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Now, the way they traveled to the feast, they traveled in caravans. So everybody, let all the males appear before me three times in a year. All the males in Nazareth who were devout Jews were commanded to do this. So they brought their wives and their kids. I mean, the whole family came, but they were commanded to appear in Jerusalem at least three times a year at the big three feasts. And so all of Israel is in, you talk about traffic jam after a Cowboys game or a, or a Black Friday up here at Alliance or something. I mean, this is what the highways look like. Everybody's moving around. The whole city is out. Tra- they're all traveling as families in big caravans, you know, walking and riding donkeys and carts. And just everybody's moving towards Jerusalem. They're going to keep the Feast of Passover. It's hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Maybe Jerusalem has 200,000 people in it, but at Passover suddenly it has half a million people in it. Hundreds of thousands of people. The scripture says Jesus is 12 years old. Those are the facts. Mary and Joseph now have several other children in tow. That's also a fact. Now, many churches teach that Mary remained a perpetual virgin, which the Scripture does not agree with. The Scripture lists at least four brothers and at least two sisters and maybe a whole lot more. I'm reading now from Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters, plural, there's at least two of them, maybe ten of them, there's at least two of them, Are not his sisters here with us also? And they took offense at him. Everybody knew this family. They knew there's the brothers, there's the sisters. Jesus just one of them. And when Jesus was 12, in a time before birth control, I can tell you that very likely that there's at least six other children in tow. Jesus is 12, and they're boop, 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 stair steps all the way down. And they're moving in caravans to Jerusalem and back to Nazareth. All the cousins, all the family, all the neighbors. I'm reading from Luke 2.44. But supposing Jesus to be in the group, they went a day's journey on the return home. And they began to search for him among their relatives and their acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And I think I could write a small essay on that sentence. When they did not find him, you realize how respectful Brother Luke is being right now. When they did not find him, they returned back to Jerusalem searching for him. Now, let me give you the facts. They've traveled a day's journey out of Jerusalem and realize, let's count heads, you know, every day or so. It's just a different era, isn't it? Every day or so, you at least need to count heads and see if you got them all. Because after all, you're traveling across the country. I mean, it's just a different era, isn't it? Can you imagine you guys going to Florida on vacation and somewhere about Tennessee, you decide to count heads? I mean, like Alabama. Oh, look, Alabama State. Let's count heads and see if we got everybody. Oh, we're one short. This is, this is the scenario now. Now, I don't know if you've ever lost a kid. I think every family does at least once. If you've ever never lost a kid at Target, you know, they get under the racks and start playing. Next thing you know, the FBI couldn't find them. Lost a kid at Six Flags, Cowboy game, Rangers game, someplace where there's tens of thousands of people is like the best. 
They just wander away for a split second, and it's like, seriously. Now, how? I mean, just, just like that. People ask Susan all the time, should our kids have cell phones? If you're taking them to a Ranger game, yes. You know what I'm saying? Just think it through. If they can get separated from you, maybe. <laughs> maybe you give them yours for a few hours, you know. But if you've never lost them, it can be quite a dramatic experience. I won't give you all the details, but one day Susan and I left both boys here at church. We come in two different cars on most Sundays. We both went home. We're having lunch. I said, it's really quiet. She's like, well, where are the boys? You brought them home, right? I'm like, no, you brought them home, right? They were still at church. Uh, It happens. So here's what happened. They're a day out of Jerusalem. They realize in their head count, we've lost what we're one short and we're short the one that God commissioned us to protect. Now, have you ever felt like a failure as a parent before? This would be the moment. We've got them all except the one who's going to save the world. The one he told us, take a bullet for. I'm going to, you're special, Mary and Joseph. You're going to protect my child. What kind of parents are we? We lost the only one we couldn't lose. All right, this is what happened. So they're a day out of Jerusalem. They turn around. They go back to Jerusalem. So what do you know? Another day's journey, right? Two days have passed <clears throat> since they lost their junior high, their, their 12-year-old. Now, the scripture says, they spend one more day in Jerusalem trying to find the little guy because he's not just standing there at the city limit sign saying, Hi, I'm here. You left me. He's not even looking for them. But they're looking for him. Where could he be? Luke chapter 2, verse 46. Now, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, I'm going to be very respectful. I'm not being disrespectful, but I just want to talk it through from a parent. Jesus is gaining his independence. You understand what's happening? He's gaining his independence. What were you like at 12? Are you raising a 12, 13-year-old right now in your home? Jesus is gaining his independence. But here's what it causes on the other side of the equation. Mary and Joseph are losing their minds. Seriously. Verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they finally found him. Now, just without me reading this, what do you think this is going to look like? No, I'm not asking what the Bible says. I'm asking if you were the parent now, what does this look like? Your kid's been gone for three days. Uh, Here's my creative mind. And when the parents saw him, they were astonished. Not because of his prowess in the temple. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? I just aged 10 years. Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. I'm going to put it in modern words, not being disrespectful. Jesus H. Christ. (laughs) What do you think you're doing? I searched all week to understand what the H stood for. I can't find any answer. If you know, please let me know. I just know it's what people say, but... You would have gone over there and grabbed him by the ear and said, Jesus H. Christ, Son of God. You you have tormented us for three days. 
You talk about disrespectful to your parents. We've been losing our minds. We've called the Highway Patrol, the FBI, and activated an Amber Alert. Now, this is real life. This is, this is what we've done. What in the world do you think you're doing? Verse 49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? <laughs> Excuse me? I hope you enjoyed sitting in the temple for three days because you're not going to be sitting for three more. That's what I would have said right about there. What would you say if your child said, oh, you're looking for me? Listen, Jesus. We've got little kids scattered from Jerusalem to Samaria right now. We left James, Joseph, Judas, Simon at the Holiday Inn with Aunt Elizabeth. It's costing us 150 shekels a night for your brothers to sit in a hotel room with Aunt Elizabeth. And it'll be probably two more before we can get there. Your four sisters are with Aunt Chloe. And we only hope she's sober after having them for three days. What in the world were you thinking? I mean, you could have just said something. What were you thinking? Listen, sometimes we just don't get you. I've raised them to the 20s. That's a parenting statement right there. And I'm sure my parents thought the same about me. Sometimes we just don't get you. and get how you process, kid. What were you thinking when you did that? Well, Jesus is gaining his independence. And as he's gaining his independence, it causes a conflict between his fathers. Causes a conflict with his mother. Jesus was saying, I need to be here. I understand why God sent me to planet Earth. And it's important that I be doing what God sent me here to do. And that's a true statement, right? And listen, I want to say this about your kids. God has a plan for your children. Amen? And it's really hard between adolescence and 25. Such critical period in a person's life. Because you know you're discovering God has something for me. God is speaking to me. He's impressing things. He's gifting me. He's making me good at some things. And he's given me passion for some things. But my, I'm in conflict with my parents. I'm in conflict with the, some authority. It causes conflict. Because you want your kids to be strong leaders, don't you? But you want them to be compliant too, don't you? Here we go. We want our cake and we want to eat it too as parents. We want our kids to be full of character and strong and resourceful, but we want to hand them everything so they don't suffer like we did when they were kids. Oh, you realize you just took out of the formula what makes character. So we're in conflict. Now, I don't want to, I just feel like I could talk this story to death because I love this part of the story. But what I want to say to you is, do you see these words? All I want to say to you is if this family had some challenges, so will yours. And whatever challenges you face raising them from preschool to elementary and elementary to junior high and junior high to high school and high school out of the house, whatever challenges you face between husband and wife, and, oh, should we be hard on them? Should we be easy on them? Should, should we instill them? Should we direct their lives? Should we back up? It's difficult being a parent. And listen, it's difficult being a teenager. I wouldn't go back for anything. 
I don't want to go back. It's difficult being a young adult. I think 18, 19, 20, 21 is a really tough time in your life. Because you're doing all this complex thinking and you're trying to figure out where to go. And you've got to pick a career and they're forcing you into a major. And you don't know what any of that looks like. You don't know what an accountant does until you do it. You, you understand? We have to pick it before we even know what it's like. It's just a weird system and it's hard. And, and my parents want me to be strong and make decisions. But then they want to tell me what to do. Yeah, that that's pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? So all I want to say to you and I want to say to me this morning is that whatever challenges our family face, that wherever, listen, you've got college students and little infants. I, I Listen, we all need to pray for families like this. This whole church should be on their knees for family. Can you imagine having college students saying, send money, Dad, and you're still buying diapers? God bless you. God bless you. But whatever challenges you face, and whatever challenges I face, and listen, whatever challenges you face in your retirement with your grown kids and your grandkids and great-grandkids maybe, I want you to know God's still using you and every challenge you face, he's going to give you wisdom to work through that challenge. I realize that none of us are raising Jesus at our house. I guarantee you we're not. <laughs> but I, I do recognize this. Even though you and I aren't raising Jesus, we're raising a child of God. And God has a design and a plan and a will for my boys just like your children. And we need to understand this morning that we can't insist our children follow our will all the way. This is what's delicate about being a parent. You're there to form character and to protect and to provide and to guide and to give wisdom and impart discernment. You're not there to micromanage every decision. Because God's going to take them down a path that may not be the one you would choose as a parent. Can you imagine being Mary where it really begins to dawn on you that this child you've cared for so much is going to have his blood poured out for mankind and be tortured to death? You talk about one of the most heartbreaking things in all the world is to be Mary. You say, what, what, how cool would it be to be Mary? Uh, you wouldn't want that job for anything. To have to raise the Son of God and then watch the world crucify him. Heartbreak, the, the angel said to Mary, this is going to be a light to lighten the world, but it's going to be a sword that will pierce through your heart, Mary, to watch this young man be crucified and misunderstood by the world he came to save. Every family has unique challenges. Don't insist that your kids follow your will. Insist, encourage, insist might be the too strong a word, encourage, direct, that they follow God's will. As we prepare to enter a new year, imagine, as I try to every year, that 2020 is just a field of freshly fallen snow. Most beautiful thing in the world. And there's not one footprint in it. In just a few days, we're about to make the first tracks. For those of you that needed a fresh start, God's given it to you. About 48 hours. Fresh start. And when you step into 2020, some of you are going to be married this year. Talk about rocking your world. Boy, there it is. Some of you are expecting your first. Some greeted me at the door this morning with God's blessing. They're going to have their second. Some of you are going to launch one out into the world. You hope. <laughs> Get them out of the house. 
I'm just saying, the new year brings all kinds of fun things for us. Some of you are going to start a new career, maybe. Some of you are going to find a walk with Christ that you've never really known, so intimate and sweet and encouraging. But we're all about to have a fresh start right now. Whatever comes, God's going to provide. God's going to walk with us. He's going to help us through every challenge. We don't need to be stressed. We just need to trust and be willing to take the next step. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. I want you just to consider the challenge, the challenge that was put before you today. You have a chance to walk with God into a new year. For some of you who are new here, it might be a chance to recommit to a church even. For those of you who know the Christmas story but don't really know Christ as your own Savior, maybe it's the chance this morning to commit to Christ in a personal way and receive Him as your Savior and know that as you step into a new year, all of your sins are under the blood of Christ. The Bible describes being cast as far as the east is from the west. The Bible describes it as being washed. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be washed as white. Wouldn't you like to go into the new year knowing, knowing that there's not one sin in your life standing between you and God? Listen, I'm going to call you to prayer right now. We're going to have a moment of prayer and then we're going to close in a closing song. I want our family here, our church family, guests that are with us. Listen, let's end the last worship service of the decade in prayer and in praise in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to pour out your heart to God this morning, Christian, and just say, God, help me to establish new rhythms in 2020. Whatever that means, I want to be open to it. Lord, whatever challenges I need to undertake, maybe with my health, maybe with my uh, intellectual development, maybe with my spiritual development, maybe being able to submit to someone and be accountable in a discipleship group. Lord, whatever you want for me, my answer is yes. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do your will. Whatever needs to change in our home and in my style and in my approach and in my attitude and in my outlook, yes is the answer. God, begin to shape me and transform me this morning. Let me go into this year moldable, teachable, transformable. Holy Spirit, I'm just going to give you the reins of my life. Take me and, and just mold me into an image of Jesus Christ. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want to pray with you this morning. So there's nothing that would be better than receiving Christ right here at the end of this year. Be able to walk with Him forgiven into a new year. If you've never received Him, pray like this. Pray like this. Say, say to God, dear, dear God, I acknowledge you. I, I confess to you this morning that I am a sinner. That's not easy for me, but I am. And I know you know that and I know that. And so, God, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I know from the Word of God, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. You came to be the Savior of the world. I believe you, you lived a perfect life. You died on the cross, you were buried, you rose again to be my Savior. I believe that. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to forgive me of my sins now. 
wash me and cleanse me. I receive you into my heart and into my life as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I'm placing all of my trust in you this morning. Forgive me, redeem me. Make me a part, an adopted child into your family this morning. That is my prayer, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing a song of praise. And at the end of this song, you'll be dismissed.